would say probably the single most important leadership lesson that I've certainly gained over the years is, is around being a good listener. And again, you can use it to your advantage in certain situations and you can use, use it to help people in other situations. So it's got many different ways of helping and supporting either yourself or others if done well. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening everybody. I'm Ben Morton and a very warm welcome to another episode of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and genuine subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the very best leader that you can possibly be. And this week we have got another cracking episode for you. We are joined by Andrew Lever, who is the CEO of Brand Partnership Group, a business dedicated to accelerating growth for brand partners in an ever-connected world. The Brand Partnership Group is made up of three businesses. There is the brand engagement agency, Blue Square. There's Creative Monster, which connects and engages audiences through digital, social and event experiences, whether that's virtual, physical or hybrid. And then there is the Pulse Agency that enables marketeers and businesses to truly understand their consumers. Andrew himself has been doing all of this for 20 plus years for some of the most iconic companies in the world, including Unilever, the Coca-Cola company and Samsung. When doing my research on Andrew and the businesses within Brand Partnership Group, I kept reading about values, culture and this idea of creating an organisation that nobody wants to leave. As such, the conversation I had with Andrew in this interview focuses in heavily on the real value of company values. We spoke at length and really got into some of the the detail about how to move values from being a set of meaningless or even slightly trite words on the office walls or corporate website to something that makes a real difference to the organization's performance and the people that work there. You're going to love this conversation and this episode. But before we start, do please take a few minutes now or as soon as we're done to visit my website over at ben-morton.com where you can subscribe to my newsletter to get a two-weekly roundup of all of the latest podcast episodes plus loads of additional leadership development resources. But now though, and without any further delay, let's get into this week's episode and my fascinating conversation with Andrew Lever. Andrew, a very warm welcome to the podcast. It's great to have us with you. And first of all, always like to ask, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, Ben. And thanks very much for uh, inviting me to join you today. No, it's my absolute pleasure. I've been looking forward to the conversation for some time. And we're going to dive straight in, not with an easy question, but with a big one, which I always say is an easy one to ask. But I think it's probably a difficult one to answer, 
which is simply, what does leadership mean to you, Andrew? That is a very difficult one to, uh, to start I did, with. I did warn uh, you. <laughs> it, it could take some time to answer. Let me give you the short and succinct version if I can. Leadership for me is, I guess, most importantly about creating an environment. And within that environment, it's what's the purpose, what's the direction, what are our values? And that in turn then enables all of the individuals in the organisation to feel that they've been given kind of clarity, tools and the opportunity to really excel in what they do every day. Here we go, going off script straight away. Like you mentioned, purpose, environment, values there. Is there like a order of importance to those three elements for you or are they all equally important, do you think? I think they're all equally important. I think one without the others probably doesn't have the same substance. I think you've probably got to start with one to then get you to the others. But I think it's really important to have all three, I would say. So asking the questions I wanted to ask you in a slightly different order, seeing as we're on this topic now, I I, I want to dig into values with you a little bit, because from chatting to you before and kind of looking at your corporate website, I get a really get a sense that values are important to you and your kind of team and organization. And I get a sense that they're perhaps done better within your business businesses than, than, than elsewhere. So how do you in your business ensure that the values are, are more than just a list of words that sit on the corporate website or maybe on a poster on the wall or go back 20 years maybe on a, on a mouse mat on people's desks? I guess the, the reality is I wouldn't say we've always got it right. And I've been in lots of other big corporate uh, organizations where, again, it's it's difficult to recall what those values are. If they're not demonstrated on a daily basis, lived and breathed through all employees, then how are any new starters, anyone that's been in the business for long periods of time, ever meant to recall what they are? So I guess we went through a, a process where, first and foremost, it's important that the workforce, everyone in the business, had the opportunity to tell us what they thought the most important values were. Once we kind of got a collective of values that made sense, it's then being able to do a bit more of a deep dive into what what does that actually mean for the business? What does that mean for individuals within the business? And then we kind of go on a journey to say, well, rather than just put them on walls and mouse mats and um, make them visible and, and, and expect people to recall them when they're put into that challenge in an awkward position and I even found it difficult myself, values that we created in the organisation, remembering them is difficult in in itself. So we stumbled across our values, being able to spell out the word ethic. And, And for me, that is such a great way of remembering them. And then you can then get into each and every one of them. So from excellence to togetherness, to heart, to integrity, uh, to curiosity, it feels a bit more real within the organisation. And then we can then do a job in terms of how do we help individuals right across the business see what the values are, understand how they can really help them and make them not just something that is talked about ad hoc, make them a part of everything we do. And that's why we've um, integrated them into job descriptions that's why we've integrated them into interview processes so from the very starting point if you go onto our website and if you download any 
job that's available today, you'll see the ethic values sat at the bottom and a clear understanding of what they what, what, what they are. And then we then take that all the way through from interview to induction to ongoing uh, performance reviews, also for management team and uh, bonus payments across the business. There is a ethic qualifier. Wow. Okay. So to access the bonus payments, you have to demonstrate those values every day. And we have a kind of a, a measurement in place that helps us be able to kind of grade against that. So, again, it, it becomes quite real when people have got bonus payments linked to it. Then we then have monthly what we call ethic VIPs. Okay. So that's values in people awards. So, again, that's where people are nominated through the organisation for living and breathing those values. Over and above what would be expected as business as usual, these are things that have gone above and beyond. So one recent example of that was a, um, a colleague in our Harrods concession uh, that we support on behalf of Samsung. And this individual had gone way above and beyond in terms of when we launched the ethic values and the modules that we set out. Not only was she the first to get on, on online and, and complete them, we also got an email that then highlighted how much of an impact those values have on her and her day-to-day job and being the best possible individual that she can be in doing that job every day. And we got some, again, some great examples of individual values and the, the reminders that she sets herself coming into work in the morning. And it's become part of a process for her in improving the way that she does her job. Wow. What an incredible story. Just one example of, of, of again, how we try and make them real. Because, um, again, it's, it's very easy to get a set of values in a business and then you then start to question whether they're the right ones. You, you get people kind of giving you feedback that maybe they're not real and they're not living and breathing through leadership teams or through senior management or through other layers in the organisation. And, again, one thing I said, if we're going to do this, we do it properly and we do it with almost the ongoing commitment that we continue to support them every day in everything that we do. I think that's key, isn't it, Andrew, really, what you said there about if we're going to do it, we need to we need to do it properly. I think I've come across personally and heard of some organisations where there's been some sort of implementation of values or a refresh of, of values. And sometimes it's either been pushed or led by kind of HR or maybe by marketing and, and comms. And perhaps the CEO isn't f- fully on board. And it seems to me that in those circumstances, it doesn't quite get the traction it needs and it doesn't get done properly. Because you, what you said at the start, I think, is so powerful as well. It literally needs to be embedded into everything, doesn't it? Every little nook and cranny of the organization for it to work has to be sort of congruent and aligned with those values. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll be the first to say if you're not seeing it from me or from anyone else in the leadership team, you have the ability to tell others within the organisation. We sign up to it, but we're part of driving it through the organisation, but don't accept it when you don't see any of those values being demonstrated every day. Mm. Have you got any stories that, that you're happy to share where any of uh, the exec team or yourself has been challenged on them? 
I think we challenged ourselves. Right. So again, walking into leadership meetings, any management meetings, the ability to hold others to account for where values aren't being demonstrated. I think sometimes when you get into difficult conversations, things like heart, things like togetherness, you're not necessarily then as curious as you are in other situations. And again, it's always worth reflecting back. And that's probably where it does help having them put up in meeting rooms so you can reflect and you can say, hang on a minute, we're all kind of committed to the values and we're in this meeting and I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing a team that feels like they're together. I'm not seeing a team that are curious and looking for maybe a different answer to the problem. I don't think we're challenging each other with the heart and I don't think we're showing the integrity that we need to show. Mm. So when you start to kind of go back to the values in that situation, then you can start challenging each other. I think we, we create that environment. Well, yes, it may feel uncomfortable, but we set those kind of parameters before we go into that situation and people can challenge me as much as I'll, I'll, I'll challenge them. So we kind of create that that environment, that culture on the back of the values that we have in the business. And is there an example, Andrew, where you've used the organization's values as almost the, the backstop or the filter when you've really been wrestling to make like an important, significant business decision, like one of those decisions where we're operating in the gray, you know, where there's not necessarily a definitively right or wrong answer and you could go A or you could go B. Do, do you use them in, in those situations to go, okay, what, what, are, what do our values tell us we, we should do? I would say necessarily we use the values. I think what we do well, so with all our clients, we run something called Client Pulse. So we go out on a monthly basis and we get feedback on how well our key client stakeholders feel that we're performing against a number of different elements and, and, and sets of criteria. And what we can do from the feedback is we can pull out some of those key bits of information and link that back to values. Right. So again, excellence. Are we always focused on the client, the customer, and delivering excellence in everything we do? And if there's feedback to suggest that we're not, it naturally links back to one of our values. Got you. Same with whether it's togetherness or whether it's heart. You can kind of align it back to to, to, to values and then you can make a decision about okay what what do we do about that and similarly where we do a employee pulse survey again every month to the entire workforce just over 500 people and we get feedback and we do the same exercise we'll say okay if we group it what are we being told and what are we going to do about it and again we can then link it back into our core values and um, and then make the right decision, prioritise some of the actions that we're going to be putting in place to make to make a difference. Yeah, I love that. It seems way more effective than waiting for the annual employee engagement survey where you get the data and then take ages to analyse it. By the time you present back to people, people have forgotten what they said anyway. And it's... Things can have happened. Things could have changed. We went through a, a, a situation a good few years ago where we lost a, a part of the business moved across to a, to a competitor agency 
and the survey went out at a similar time. So you had a lot of people that were concerned and what was happening within the organisation and uh, what did that mean for them as individuals? And we saw a low response rate. And it, and it kind of made sense because there was a big activity happening at that point in time. Yeah. Um, and you can't really do a lot with feedback, with, like you said earlier, with the, on, on an annual basis when um, something significant happened. Whereas if you do it monthly and if you're able to tailor the responses to what we're hearing from the team, then we can be a, a quicker at responding and, a, a, and putting actions in place. And then again, one thing I commit to uh, every month when we do our uh, business huddle is I talk about the survey, talk about some of the key results and then highlight what we're going to do about it. Because again, there's no point hearing lots of great feedback or not so great feedback at times and then doing absolutely nothing about it. That's a sure, surefire way to demotivate people, right? It's correct. Yeah. And again, we, we, we've been there before. We've had that feedback. You, you say one thing and then we don't hear from you for, for, for long periods of time. And then, again, it's it's pushing yourselves to to listen, to, again, prioritise, because, again, it's easy going back with lots of smaller responses that the people then don't see the effect, the impact from. Yeah. Whereas, again, making it real, making it linked to those core values, people will then see the, the change and hopefully see it delivered at a much quicker speed as well. Yeah, love it. One final question on, on values before we move on to a slightly different tack. You mentioned at the start of this that they were even linked to, it was bonuses. I'm curious to know a little bit more about how that works and what's driving the question is, I think understandably, quite rightly, bonuses are an important and emotive topic to people. And then I think on the one hand, values can sometimes appear slightly more intangible so like how do you and how do people feel about sort of being measured on how well they are living and breathing the values and how do you how do you link that then to to people's bonus payments yeah so we started it just just recently with the exec team um down to the director team and i guess as long as you're all aligned so we as a team make a decision that that's how we're going to put a measure in place against our behavior as a leadership team. And I talked earlier about those uncomfortable meetings where, again, you link it back to the the, the values. We then have a kind of a quarterly review process where we can sit down, where we can score ourselves one to five against each of those core values. And then it's important that if we've had those situations in those meetings, we reflect back on them. And we then make sure that they either improve the next time that we get into a similar situation or there's an ongoing conversation to be had. I think the issue sometimes is that it's it's had in the meeting room and then by the time that you leave the meeting, things are forgotten. Yeah. Being able to refer back to situations and reflect on situations and then acknowledgement that it could have actually been managed or tackled slightly differently still becomes quite an, a, a difficult conversation if it does link back to money. But if, if there's acknowledgement that that did happen and it yeah. will be improved next time and we're open to have this sort of conversation on a regular basis, people come around to it. And I think, again, it, mm-hmm. because it's linked to money, it doesn't typically then happen in, happen again in that way. 
it's only a factor to the way we try and implement it. It's not everything linked to it. And again, there can be a conversation where we talk about something that happened and there's an understanding of why it happened. And then that might then not have a direct impact on somebody's bonus. But you know that if it happens again, then it probably will will do. So let's change tack slightly, Andrew. Like, what would you say are some of the main leadership lessons that you've learned throughout your your career that really stick with you and that you would perhaps pass on to people aspiring to be an MD or a chief exec in the future? I've always feel I've been a good listener. And I think that's a really good lesson for anyone starting out. I think you, you see a lot of intelligent, ambitious people come through the business that have got great ideas and they've they've obviously got a huge amount of passion that comes comes with that i think it's understanding that sometimes listening can be one of the most powerful leadership skills that anyone can have i think back to my early days in commercial roles sales roles i feel that i probably did some of my best negotiations by listening than not talking and i'd see others that would probably talk too much and not necessarily end up with the right outcome in a negotiation. So I would say probably the single most important leadership lesson that I've certainly gained over the years is is around being a good listener. And again, you can use it to your advantage in certain situations and you can use, use it to help people in other situations. So it's got many different ways of helping and supporting either yourself or others if done well. Mm. And what else other than listening? Uh, I think there's a, a big piece around trust. I think if you're putting yourself in that position of leading teams, organisations, I think by gaining the trust of individuals and if you say that you're going to do something, you, you do it. Always having that front of mind when making decisions, impact that's going to have on others. And the other one is around the people that you employ around you as well are a reflection on you as a leader, but also are there to do a job. I hear this lots as well, but always find those individuals that are better than you at doing those jobs, whether it's somebody that's fantastic at operational leadership, uh, somebody that's fantastic at innovation, creativity, somebody that's fantastic at kind of client, customer leadership. Just having that around you, will put you in a much better position as a leader to not to have to get too involved in too much, which ultimately then means that you're not necessarily doing the job of a leader within an organisation. What would you say is the, the, the hardest lesson you've, you've learned as a leader? Is there a lesson you've learned from sort of the, the school of hard knocks or a particular lesson you learned from something that didn't, didn't go so well that's stuck with you at all? And I know I hadn't told you I was going to ask you that, so I've slightly put you on the spot. I think it's one of the reasons why you you pick up some of those lessons I just mentioned. You train yourself to become a good listener because you see others around you that might not necessarily be great at listening and then you can see the impact that's then had on either their career or the role that they've done or that moment in time um, in the spotlight. I think there's a kind of a big piece of reflection on how you see others and what that potentially then 
means to you and what's important to you as you go through your career. Yeah, that's fine. Kind of as you was talking there, it made me think of something which I don't think I've consciously thought of before. That it almost seems as though that if we didn't have a number of, let's say, bad leaders and managers in the world and in in the workplace, there'd probably be fewer great leaders and, and managers out there. Because to your to your point, like probably a lot of my leadership lessons and the things that have informed the type of leader I want to be and what I focus on has been for observing some people in in my view who I felt were getting it wrong and noticing the impact that their behaviors have, have had on me and it makes me sort of doubly determined to make sure that those around me working for me supporting me don't ever kind of have that experience that, that I had so in, in a weird way it almost feels like we we, we need them totally yeah I think I've learned more from the mistakes than I have from seeing leaders that are have made really good decisions and you, you, you know, I've probably picked more up from books and podcasts in that situation than I have from what I've seen in the, the real world in a, in a work environment. I've learned a lot more from the mistakes that others have made and how not to do things. Yeah. I'm curious as well, what have been some of the challenges for you personally as you've moved from being the MD of one business to now being the CEO of, of multiple brands. What's that sort of journey and transition been like, Andrew? Yeah, I guess it's been a, a lesson, I think, first and foremost. <laughs> I think going from a, a corporate environment where I've, I've led teams to then going into a business where you're either building businesses as a startup or you're acquiring businesses to bring into the fold, you then face a number of challenges around the culture you set in one organization could be very different from the cultures that exist in those other organizations. Again, similarly with, with values that you kind of create in one organization, does that one size fit all across yeah. all the other organizations when you've got very different organizations, some that are very established, some that have been around for less than a year, some that have got 450 employees, other that are could have two or three employees so again you've got a real mixture of different situations uh, different processes that exist in, in those organizations a different measure way of measuring costs and the the, the P&Ls and how do you get that into a almost a structure that you can then see it from a group perspective and then you can then start to measure the impact across the the wider business. I mean, probably to talk about it as a group is probably overly glorified. I mean, we have we have three agencies currently operating under the group at the moment. One very big, one kind of smaller, and then one that's a startup and and, and is just building up as an entity. So, I think the the kind of the key lesson there is really again my belief around the values, the the culture you want to set as an organisation. How do we translate that? across the group. Um, I think we've done a, a good job at getting there probably quicker than most would and probably helped by the fact that our biggest agency is the one that we started with. So then probably makes it a lot easier to then translate that across to the others. Yeah, brilliant. Makes perfect sense. And changing tack sli- slightly again, 
when I was doing some some research and when we spoke before, I stumbled across the stuff you're doing with youth partnerships. Can you tell us a, a little bit more about kind of what that is, what it is you're doing, and, and I guess why, really? When I look at the makeup of our organisation, majority of our workforce, um, probably field-based uh, employees are, I would say, at that kind of age group of, of 18 to 30-year-olds. And how we operate as an organization, how uh, attractive we are as a, an employer of choice, how we engage with that audience, I would say we, we, would, we weren't doing a, a good enough job. I'd say we're losing out to our competitors. There were other agencies out there that were creating, I would say, better opportunities, better benefit packages for that audience um, than some of the work that we were doing at that point in time this is probably going back to um, a similar time to when I when I joined the agency back in 2016 we kind of set ourselves on a, a path and a journey we identified a credible partner out there in the youth group kind of about 18 19 were were starting to get some traction in the market um, led by a kind of a, a youth ambassador in, in Jack Parsons and, 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 and starting to do some really interesting and exciting stuff. I first reached out to Jack in about 2019. We started a kind of a lengthy conversation backwards and forwards. He then agreed in early 20 to join one of our vision days at the beginning of the year where we were kind of launching our vision and, and, and plan for the next three years. We called it Ambition 23. Um, at that time, we were in lockdown, so we were, we were all on a team call, and, right. and Jack came on and told his story. And it was a really inspiring story about what he was trying to do with the youth group. And that then started a conversation between the two of us around how can we do more? How can we make the Blue Square operation, the brand partnership group business, better? And what can I do personally, personal commitment, to help create more opportunities for young people. So beyond the stuff that we do within the group, I, I really wanted to, to help more. So the first po- point that we, we agreed on was that we probably need to be youth verified as, a, as, a, as an agency first and foremost. So we went through a, um, I think it was about a six-week process, about 90 pages, um, lots of interviews across the business, uh, almost a checklist of, what we did well, what we didn't do so well, and how we really identify those opportunities to become better. And we had the verification, almost sign off at the end of last year and went live from the beginning of, 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 of this year. The next phase, which was kind of working in parallel, was we wanted to help and create insight for the audience that Jack had within the youth group. Jack probably has a community of about 1.7 million um, 18 to 30-year-olds. It's incredible, right? That following is incredible. It's, it's, it's immense. And what we wanted to do was tap into that community and create a platform where that community could learn from people that had been perceived to have achieved some of the things that that audience would probably want to achieve in the future. Yeah. So we came out, I mean, it was interesting because Jack had already mentioned the word duvet flip back in 
our vision session in 2020. And we got into a conversation about what does duvet fit mean for me, for you, for everyone else, for the 1.7 million in the community. And how can we understand what those duvet flips are for people that have, 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 are either on that journey or, or, or have been there and, 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 and done it and can, can, can help tr- translate that story into inspiration for that community. So we agreed on a partnership. We signed it there and then on, 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 on that day in that meeting. And then we went on this kind of journey in um, season one, as it's now come to, come to the conclusion, season one, around 20 interviews have been um, shared. Um, we've pulled out some of those really key snippets from not just the, the duvet flip, flip stories, but but also some of the, the journeys that those individuals have been on. And we've had anyone from uh, Rishi Sunak uh, to Nadim Sahawi, the education secretary. Yeah, I saw that one. It's incredible. Obviously, the Chancellor of the Exchequer to Dragons from the Dragons Den to CEOs of... Google, Samsung have been on there, HP Enterprise have been on there. So a whole series of senior individuals that have um, been able to tell their story. And obviously a lot of it is linked into advice for young people and whether it's CEOs of the banks in terms of how do you get your first mortgage, get up, get on the ladder. Yeah, And there's been some really inspiring stories that have, have, have come out. And we're just now in the process of, kind of building that into uh, season two, and that's just about to to go live now. I think ne- next week it, it officially goes goes live. Yeah, I've, I've seen some of them, so we'll make sure we put a link to some of them in the show notes so everyone listening to this can can pick, click through and have a have a watch and listen, because the ones I watched were, were, were incredible. And Jack himself is super inspiring, right? Really, really incredible young young man. And, and his team around him. So, he's, he's, again, he's got a a young team around him, but they, they've all got inspiring stories and they've all had access to the, these interviews. And again, when you, when you spend time and, and listen and learn from, from them, as, as I often do, you pick so much up. So there's, there's, there's been a lot of work that we've done with them today, but there's also some really exciting opportunities to come into the future, which um, yeah. uh, hopefully I'll get the opportunity to, to, to share more uh, with you um, as uh, as time goes by. Yeah, I think I need to get in touch with Jack and get some coaching, mentoring, consultancy from him about how to build a massive following because he's obviously uh, he's obviously crushing it. He's, he's he's done an incredible job. Yeah, um, Andrew, I've got some of my uh, regular quick fire questions to to finish up with, if you don't mind. What is um, one book that you would say has had a really significant impact upon you? or the one book that you find yourself recommending to other people the most? Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Yeah. So, again, a lot of people would, 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 would say the same. Um, just hearing the story of, of how Nike was founded, um, the journey that Phil went on, the challenges that he faced, how many times could it have not happened from Blue Ribbon to, to, to Nike to, I guess, obviously a, a deep passion for the partners when you think about partnerships in in that world, it was all about the athletes and the first conversation with Michael Jordan, the first conversation with Tiger Woods, with the Williams sisters, yeah. partnerships and brand. And again, that's probably one of the reasons why 
BPG, Brand Partnership Group, exists is because there was a lot of inspiration that came from that book around the importance of brand, the importance of partnership, and then how impact can help a, a small uh, business like ours get to a much stronger position in the future. Yeah, brilliant. And what's one item, always have to caveat this with, other than your mobile phone, that if it was lost, stolen or broken, you'd find yourself immediately going out to replace? It's a, it, it was a really difficult one to come up with an answer until I thought about the importance of sleep in my life. Right. And then the answer was bed. <laughs> I hear lots and see lots about people that don't need a lot of sleep and they can survive on three hours or less. You hear about the prime ministers and presidents around the world. Unfortunately, I'm not one of those. And yeah. I do need my sleep. I think I think sleep is is great for almost relaxing the brain that I can wake up fresh and I can then think a lot fresher the following day. So for me, it's at least eight hours a night sleep. If I don't get that, then I wouldn't say that I'm as effective as I need to be. Yeah. Um, so the importance of having a, a good bed where I can sleep properly and I can get those eight hours uh, a day is, is incredibly important for me. It's really strange and spooky timing, actually. Literally, before I come into the studio to, to record this, I was writing um, kind of my two-weekly newsletter to go out to all my subscribers. And the topic was, was sleep and the importance of getting seven and a half to eight hours. And interestingly, all these people that quote Churchill or Margaret Thatcher who slept for three hours a night or whatever they often miss two two key things like both of those people were were nappers so Churchill would famously like in the middle of the afternoon go up to the the room above number 10 get in his pajamas and have a, a full-on nap um, and also there's I believe it's three percent of the global population have a, a gene which means they can survive on on much less sleep now the chances of any one of us having it is is three in a hundred, right? So chances are get get your seven and a half to eight hours sleep. And uh, final quick fire question, Andrew: What would you say are three key traits for successful leaders today? The word at the moment is probably overused, but I think it's incredibly important: is empathy in, in leadership. I think putting yourself in other people's um, situations, positions, especially at the moment with what we've been through with the pandemic, what we're probably about to go through in terms of cost of living crisis. Yeah. I think being able to understand it from somebody else's point of view is critical. I mentioned earlier about trust. And again, I think uh, it will always be in my top three uh, for leaders. And the final one is value driven. So those, those values live and breathing um, and being value driven. Um, every day is is, is also uh, another one I'd add into the the three. Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a fascinating conversation, especially the part where we really dived into understanding what your values are, kind of how you bring them to life. It's kind of just rich in terms of tactics and applicable things that I think kind of listeners are really going to get loads from. It was certainly fascinating for me. So thank you so much for your time. Have a good rest of the day and sleep well. Thank you. And you, Ben. Cheers. There you have it, folks. Another episode of the show done. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening. But more importantly than that, 
I hope you learned something that you are able to go away and use to make you a better leader, to make your team more engaged and to make your business or organization even more successful. If you are getting value from the podcast, then please do me a massive favor and share it with three colleagues or friends right now so that they can get value from the show as well. And if you want to drop me a line, let me know what you thought of the show, the bit that resonated with you the most. And the best place to do that is over on LinkedIn, where I'm really active. You can find me on there under Ben Morton Leadership. But that is it for this episode, folks. I look forward to talking to you again very soon. Next week, in fact, in the next episode, or even in a couple of minutes, if you're going to go and listen to another episode right now. But until then, until we speak again, take care and lead on.